Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Podcast with Pastor Tom Berninger. All right, everybody, good to have you here. I'm sure there are some people uh, normally here that are home watching because we had one sixty-fourth of an inch of snow earlier today, and I'm sure that just scared a lot of people uh, away. Nevertheless, we're going to bring forth um, the Word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment and open up in a word of prayer. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you um, that you are faithful. And we thank you, Lord God, that you always give us your word, Lord God, to draw us closer to you and to renew our minds and renew our thoughts. Lord God, we want to uh, know what you know. We want to believe what you believe and teach what you teach, Lord God. So have your way, Lord God, as we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, believe it or not, we're coming to the end of this series already. Um, praise God. I spoke with Don. He said, thank God this is the end to me. He's, he said, Pastor, I've had about all of you I could take on Wednesday. So that's why we're not going on any further. We, we, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Don was not kidding at all. He was actually a little vicious with me when he said it. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, Meg, happy birthday. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> All right, our topic today um, is, was Jesus a social justice warrior? Okay? Because what has gained popularity in the last three years, no surprise, um, is the social justice gospel that's being preached out of there. And... I read a lot of commentaries, a lot of articles as I was preparing for this, and one thing I'm going to like about this is that um, in in the last couple of weeks we've gone over different ways to identify what heresy is, and what happens when you have verses that seem to say two complete opposite things, how to uh, make them come together and gel them together. Um, In this case, I think we're going to find how we can have two potentially opposite teachings where both of them are probably true, where both of them have truth, at least, involved in it. Uh, I think the mistake that people make when they debate, and by the way, this is a hot debate in many churches uh, on the social justice doctrine out there, and was Jesus a social justice warrior, I think the mistake they make is when they want to preach either one side or the other. And oftentimes, two things could be right at the exact same time. Two things could be true at the exact same time. And I think this is a great example where the answer lies somewhere in the middle. It's not in one of the extremes. Would Jesus be marching down the streets in protest today? Well, considering he never did it (laughs) 2,000 years ago, then chances are he probably wouldn't do it today. Because if he would have done it today, he would have done it 2,000 years ago because conditions were far worse 2,000 years ago and yet, yet never once did he march and protest or anything like that. On the other side of the coin, would Jesus um, just point to people and say, you know, you're wicked and this and you deserve what you get? Well, he probably wouldn't do that either. So, uh, you know, in, in the, again, the many articles I read, I have probably, this is going to come as no surprise, it probably breaks down the lines of Republicans versus Democrats on whether or not you believe Jesus was a social justice warrior. And that's very sad because politics has no place in this um, debate right here, okay? Because we just want to know what the Word of God has to say. Um, open up your Bibles. I just want to, and I could give many more verses. I want to make that clear, but to save time, um, I won't. To James. James chapter 2. And there's no denying that, obviously, that this is in Scripture. Obviously, I'm reading from Scripture right over here. And this is in the portion of James where it talks about faith without works, it being dead. Okay, so this is in the, in the context. And in James chapter 2, verse 14, James says, What does it profit, my brethren? So we know he's talking to the church. 
What does it profit, though a man say he has faith but has not works? Can just his faith alone save him? And then he gives an example. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Hey, depart in peace, have a good day. Be warmed and be filled, notwithstanding you did not give him any of those things which uh, uh, he needed um, for his body, what did it profit you? What good was your faith? What good was your blessing that you gave them? So in other words, if you come upon a person who is starving and you say, hey, I want to pray for you to receive Jesus and then walk away and they're still starving, you know, what good was your faith? You did not apply any works because there were needs that this person had that we could have met and we should have met. So this is clearly pointing to well, some kind of social justice is required in Christianity, some kind, at the, at the very least, and I, of course, agree with that. Um, turn to the Old Testament now. Isaiah, chapter 1. And in chapter 1 of Isaiah, God is giving a powerful rebuke to the entire nation of Israel, a powerful rebuke. And starting in verse 11, he's talking about their, their religion, okay? In verse 11, he says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, says the Lord? I'm full of the burnt offerings and the rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of your bulls or your lambs or of the he goats that you sacrifice. This is a, this got to be stunning to them because this is what they're supposed to do. These were their religious requirements, and God's saying, I can't stand them. I'm fed up with them. Verse 12, he says, When you come to appear before me, who hath asked you to do this, to tread upon my courts? Verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. Wow. Again, these are the offerings that God required them to bring. But he calls them vain, empty. Your incense, which they're, which they're required to burn, is an abomination unto me. Your new moons and your Sabbaths, the calling of your assemblies or your Sunday service or your Wednesday Bible study, I cannot get them away from me, for they are sin, they're iniquity. Even your Sunday service, or in, in our case, even your solemn meeting is iniquity. These are strong terms God's using to the Jewish people. Verse 14, your new moons and your feasts, your holidays, your Easter and your Christmas service for us. My soul hates. Wow, that's a strong word when God used the word hate. My soul hates. They're a trouble unto me. I'm, we I'm weary to bear them. I can't deal with them anymore. I'm so tired of them. Verse 15, check this out. And when you spread forth your hands, um, we know the Bible says lift up holy hands, right? When you lift up your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Woo, does God hear every prayer? No, we just read right here. He says, when you make many prayers, I'm not going to hear you because I'm going to hide my face from you. I'm going to say, talk to the hand. Why? Okay, because your hands are full of blood. When you lift up hands, your hands are full of blood. When you present an offering, you pollute the offering because your hands are full of blood. What's he talking about? Verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. Here we go. Your actions, your works from before my eyes cease to do evil. Verse 17, here's the verse I want. Learn to do well or learn to do the right thing. Seek justice. King James says judgment. Seek justice. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes and stop doing, I'm sorry, we did that, 16. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. So he's saying the reason why I can't stand any of your religious observances it's because you got no idea what they mean. 
You've got no idea what they point to. You've got no idea what the religious symbolism is behind them. Because you cannot offer sacrifices unto God and mistreat your brother at the exact same time. You cannot offer, uh, offer offerings unto God while you're oppressing your neighbor or your brother or the person who's living down the street from you. It's impossible, he's saying. So when he says your hands are full of blood, he means it's how you treat your brother, how you treat your sister. It's as though you murdered them the way you treat them. You oppress them. So let's make this clear. Here is where there's no doubt. I mean, anybody who doubts this, you've you're, 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 you got problems. God hates oppression when people are oppressed. He hates it. He despises it. I can't say it enough how much he hates when the poor and the weak and the widow are oppressed. In other words, they're taken advantage of. They're kept down. They're stepped on. They're kicked. They're never given the opportunity to succeed. They're oppressed. Okay? So he despises that. That aspect of social justice, God is 100% behind that. Okay? We should not oppress um, people, especially the weakest people, especially the greatest people in need. And he gives two examples of who those um, weak people are. Verse 17, he says, judge the fatherless. Now, the word judge does not mean, you're wrong, you're going to hell, you're a sinner. That's not the word judge there means. The word judge there means plead their cause, find out what their need is, and take care of them. Okay, that's what that means, okay? So take care of the needs of the fatherless and plead for the widow. Now, he's taking probably the two um, weakest, most needy members of society, and he's saying, church, you need to have your eyes out for them. You need to look out for them. You need to uplift them, and you need to take care of them to make sure they're not um, starving or left out in the dark, or left out in the cold. So, on this side of the coin, social justice is 100% something we should strive for. We as Christians should look to break down systems that take advantage of other people and use other people and abuse other people, all right? So I have no question about that. Unfortunately, social justice in modern days has gone way beyond that, okay? And now they have brought equity into social justice, okay? Now, what is equity? Equity, yes, brother. Stop right there, because I'm going to get there. I'm going to address exactly what you're saying. So somebody give this guy a sedative over here right now, okay? <laughs> so, now, for those that don't know here or those that are watching, what is equity, okay? Equity is a guarantee of results. And that's what certain people in society want today. They want a guarantee of results they want a redistribution of wealth. By the way, any elite who wants a redistribution of wealth, here's what they really mean. I want to take all of your wealth and take it for myself and then give out the minimal amount possible to other people and I keep the lion's share. That's what they really mean. Don't believe anybody because uh, they're all a bunch of liars, okay? So equity is uh, equality of results, which you cannot guarantee that. It's impossible to guarantee that, and nowhere does the Bible guarantee <coughs> equity. Okay, so we should be, again, all in favor of injustice that's being done to the weakest members of society. And in fact, you know what? Let's get to that right now. First, and we don't have to turn here, because in just a second, I want to define what is a poor person today. Because I promise you, the definition of a poor person today is different than it was 2,000 years ago, and here is where many people fail. Here's where, where this whole area um, gets into confusion, because we don't understand that times have changed, and I'll explain that in just a second.
Now, the uh, Jesus is a social justice warrior people, and again, I've read this in a, in a bunch of uh, articles and, and blogs that Jesus came to change the whole social structure. Structure. He, he, he came to relieve every person that is poor. That was his mission, that was his goal. Well, you're not reading the Gospels because no, he didn't, he didn't come to do those things. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, the poor you will always have with you. He said that. So if he came to change the entire social structure so that nobody would ever be poor, why would he say the poor you will always have with you? Because you want to know one reason why? Well, I'm going to be probably five reasons why. Because some people deserve to be poor. Ooh, Pastor, you are heartless. No, I'm just telling you the truth. And I'm telling you what the Bible says, not me, okay? Um, Matthew 22, 21, Jesus said, regarding taxes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He did not say, protest. He did not say, march in the streets. He didn't say that at all. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In the story of Lazarus, how many of us know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was a, a poor beggar, and Je this is a parable that Jesus told. A rich man who had, you know, a whole lot of money sitting outside of his gate was a poor man by the name of Lazarus. He was a beggar. And the rich man just ignored him. The rich man was treated him horribly. No, no good social justice being done in the life of me. He just ignored him, probably, you know, kicked dirt out of him when he walked by. Well, the day came where they both died. And now this rich man is in hell, and he sees across a great pit, he sees Lazarus the beggar on the other side of the pit. And he sees that he's free. He sees that he's like rejoicing, and I'm suffering in hellfire over here. And he says, Lazarus, can you just dip your finger in some water and put it on my tongue, because I'm suffering right now. And Jesus said, no, he, he can't do that, sorry. And he said, well, at least, um, you know, Tell them to get a message up to my brethren so they don't make the same mistake that I made. And he said, no, sorry, you can't do that either. Now, Lazarus received his retribution. Lazarus received his justice. Where did he receive his justice? In eternity. Right? He received it after he died. He did not receive it here on this earth. Now, Jesus could have easily preached a message or inserted in there how, no, we need to strive for this poor Lazarus, uh, you know, how, how unfair it is for him, and we need to change it while he was alive, but he didn't preach that at all. He highlighted the fact that justice is done for every human being in eternity, that that's where we seek ultimate social justice is eternity in heaven. So that's a great example over there where Jesus could have easily addressed the, you know, the, the protesting social justice movement, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it at all. So again, I say, what is the poor? All right, who are the poor amongst us? Well, I've noticed that in the New Testament, the dialogue or the verbiage goes through somewhat of a change. And you find the word poor is often replaced with the word weak. Okay, and I believe that that's significant. Okay. Um, in Romans chapter 15, it says, verse 1 says, that we ought that we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities or the weaknesses of those that are weak. It does not use the term poor. It says, you that are strong ought to help bear the burdens of those that are weak. Now he's saying we need to be concerned about the weak, which, by the way, when he was referring to the widows and the um, orphans, he was saying the exact same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, if you're taking notes, it says to support the weak. In Acts 20.35, it says to support the weak. And in James 
it says almost the exact same thing that we read in um, Isaiah chapter 1. It says that true religion is visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. So the New Testament really doesn't talk so much about the poor. It talks more about the weak. Now, are there our poor who are weak? Obviously, yes. But there are some uh, weak who are not necessarily poor. Now, who were the poor slash weak that Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago? And here's how things have changed drastically in 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, the poor lived in the streets. The poor lived in gutters. Well, that happened today. Well, well I'll finish. They never had a chance in their life. Never. If you were born poor 2,000 years ago, you were going to die poor. There was no way around it. It was not going to change for you because there were no opportunities for a poor person, for a crippled person, for that broken person to ever achieve anything. There was no public education system that existed to where they could go through school and educate themselves and make something of themselves. It didn't exist 2,000 years ago. So a crippled person who was on the street did not have welfare or government assistance to help them. It did not exist 2,000 years ago. So these people who lived in the gutter, who lived broken, who lived poor, who lived in poverty, who lived on the street, they had no chance whatsoever of ever getting out of it. Now let's compare 2,000 years ago to today. Every single young person on the face of the earth is given a free education paid for by us. You and I, we pay for the poor people, for everybody, but of course including the poor people, to get an education. Studies have shown, countless studies have shown, the number one way to lift somebody out of poverty is through education. And guess what? We give out free education to everybody upon the face of this earth. Now, if people reject that free education opportunity, that's not who Jesus is talking about when he says the poor. That's not who he's talking about. If people, because of drug addiction, throw their lives away, that's not who Jesus is talking about. Those are people who have ruined their own lives by choices that they have made. Again, the people Jesus was talking about never made a choice to be poor. They didn't ask to have their back broken in an accident. They didn't ask to get run over by uh, an ox cart. They didn't ask to be, to be born in poverty. They didn't ask for their father to die in battle and them to be alone. They didn't ask for any of that. They were just flat out poor and were going to starve to death and suffer and die if people did not give to them, people did not help them. But that's not the way it is in our society today. Everybody is given a chance to have some level of success in the world today. Everybody. Now, but Pastor, there are some people that have um, more difficult roads to success than other people. Absolutely. That's called life. I agree. There are millions of people who had a more difficult road than I had to find some type of success. But there are also millions of people who had it a whole lot easier than me to find success. I'm somewhere in the middle. Well, I'm probably a little more on the top if you compare people who grew, uh, grew up in, in, in the streets of India or Calcutta or something like that. I understand that. But uh, my, my family was poor. We only had a house in Nutley because my father was in the army and he got a, a loan through the GI Bill. That's it. My mother was an alcoholic when I was young. My father had Parkinson's disease. And my father cleaned floors and buildings. I spent my childhood having to go to work with my father and clean more toilets and bathrooms and more floors and more rugs than everybody here combined will ever in their whole lives. That's how many floors I clean and bathrooms I clean growing up. 
Why? Because we didn't have any money. We had to do whatever it took. You know, my, nothing was handed to me. Nothing at all. You know, if, if I needed sneakers, guess what? I had to go to work to get sneakers. If I needed a car, I said, Dad, can I borrow your piece of junk car that is filled with Brillo and cleaning equipment in the back? Hey, that's great for a date to take a girl on, isn't it? Hey, watch where you sit. You're going to get splinters back there. No. And I'm not complaining because just about everybody I knew had problems in, in their society growing up or in their neighborhoods growing up. Everybody did. But I didn't have it easy. I had difficulties that I, I had to overcome. I was just talking with, with, with Don just a little while ago, and I, I had to leave engineering school because my father couldn't work anymore. I had to leave so I could go to work and pay bills in the house for my, for my mother, for my younger sister. Well, praise God, God had another plan for me, so amen, that was awesome. I didn't know that at the time. But you got to do what you got to do, right? You got to put food on the table. You got to pay electricity bills and stuff like that. You know, that, that's part of my background. That, that's, that's part of my history over there. But I made it through, and thank God that I did have that free education system that was there. Thank God there were loans that were available to me to go to college and, and, and pay college and so forth if I were to continue to, to, to go through there and make it all the way. Thank God that those opportunities were there. But those opportunities are there today. You know, when you talk to social justice warriors, they would have you believe that all these people who are living on the streets in San Francisco and Los Angeles, oh, they're just families that they lost their jobs and they just can't get a break and pour. No, that is not true. There might be a couple of those, but like 95% of them are drug addicts or those that have severe psychological problems. That's why they're living on the streets. And the ones with psychological problems, most of them are drug addicts. <laughs> and that's why they have severe psychological problems. That's why. And you know what? They don't want to live in houses. I mean, there have been countless times where um, cities have, you know, we spend all this money on public housing for the people, and we put them in there. Three days later, they're all gone. They all left. Why? They don't want to live there. They want to live on the street. Well, what, what, what sane person would, would want to live on the street? Exactly. They're not sane. And they want easier access to drugs, too. So we need to understand who the poor are. So in, in the New Testament age that we live in, especially today, it's really the weak that we need to really be looking out for and really need to be taken care of. Now, Poor too, don't get me wrong, poor too. But if you're poor because when you were 13 years old, you decided, I never want to do any homework, I'm going to cut classes all the time, I should have to pay for you to get a house, I should have to pay for you to get a car, because I went to my classes, because I did my homework, because I made something of myself, because you chose, chose to party? Does that sound fair? Does that sound equitable? No, it sounds like you goofed off your whole life, and now you want me to pay for you to have a life. That's not fair. And that's not who Jesus is talking about. Now, how do I know that? Because a famous verse in the Bible is, whatsoever man sows, that he shall reap. Amen. There's no getting around the sowing and reaping process. It's a law. But social justice warriors today want to ignore that. They don't want people to reap from what they sowed. They just want to think, oh, they had it harder. So, You know, I actually heard a... Um, a, a black man, and he was being interviewed, and they were talking about reparations. And this other black man was interviewing him, and he said, well, what do you think about reparations? He goes, oh, I think they were great when they were given. And he looked at him and said, what, what do you mean? You know, we, we haven't received reparations. He said, brother, we've been getting reparations for the last 50 years. What are you talking about? We've been getting grants and free this and discounted this and preference in this. For 50 years, we've been getting it. He goes, do you forget that? Do you not count that? Do you not count the welfare, which is stuff being given to us? Do you, count, do you not count going to college for free? Do you, do, do you not count that as reparations? He said trillions have been spent upon poor families 
trying to help them. He goes, so reparations have been given for 50 years, and you know what? Things are as bad as ever. Because that's not what changes things. Culture is the problem in our society today. We live in, in bad cultures, in unhealthy cultures, and nobody wants to talk about that. So again, do I believe the church needs to be at the forefront of helping the weak? Yes. Of helping the poor who are truly poor because of, 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 of things that are at, were outside their control? Yes. I do believe that we should be there for them. And we should be there to help them. We should be there to uh, promote those things. But you know, we're not there to reward people who decided to goof off in high school or decided to take drugs for the last 15, 20 years. So the poor today are not the same as the poor who uh, existed and who lived many, many years ago. Not even close, okay? Uh, now, interesting. Turn to Exodus chapter 23. Many social justice preachers need to read this verse. Or verses. Exodus 23, verse 2, you shall not follow a multitude or a mob in order to do evil. Wow. But I thought we were supposed to, as Christians, march down streets and burn buildings and burn police cars and throw rocks at police officers. I thought we were supposed to do that. Well, you're not reading your Bible. Okay, you shall not follow a multitude or a mob in order to do evil. Neither shall you speak in a cause to decline um, after many to rest judgment. Verse 3, neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Woo, what does that last verse there mean? You shall not give favor to a poor man just because he's poor. Is what that verse says. That's what that means. Don't favor him. If he's wrong, he's wrong. And judgment needs to be brought forth. We're doing the complete opposite today. Somebody does something wrong if they have the, uh, uh, the right skin color. No, nope, don't charge them with anything. If they don't make enough money, no, don't charge them with anything. Make excuses for them. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So we should not be marching down streets. We should not be burning down buildings. We not, should not be stoning anybody. Okay? We should not be giving favoritism and preferring one form of discrimination over another form of discrimination, which is just insane that we would even consider doing that. But again, these things are all right here in the Bible. Um, let's look at <coughs> the concept of equity in relationship to what the scriptures have to say. Turn to Matthew 25. And I just mentioned this a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, on a Sunday. But now we're going to look at it in the um, context of equity. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took a journey. Stop right there. Does that sound like equity? That's unfair. Somebody, he gave five talents. Somebody else only two. But somebody else only got one. That's not fair. That's not equity. Equity would say, let's see, that's five, that's seven. That means everybody gets two and uh, a third. But Jesus is teaching the parable, and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is really not all about equity at all. Because in the kingdom of heaven, God could give whoever he wants or whatever he wants to whomever he wants. But let me tell you something about God. And this is going to sound as an amazing statement I'm going to make. God's not stupid. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. 
In other words, why would you give something to somebody who doesn't know how to properly take care of it? So it says, he gave one five, one two, and to another one, complete inequity, but it was based upon the abilities that the other people had. In other words, he rewarded their abilities. It had nothing to do with starting with um, equity. He rewarded their abilities that they had. So, and he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 16, then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made five other talents. Likewise, also he that had received two, he gained also two more. <laughs> Excuse me. But he that had received one went and digged it in the earth, and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and said, Lord, I gave you five other talents. And the Lord delivered unto him five talents, saying, Behold, I have gained these five. Verse 21. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, you invested and you made money for me. You're a good, faithful servant. You mean if the Bible says to be a good steward of God's money. That's what the Bible says. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou to the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here is the one that you had. In other words, I did absolutely nothing with what you gave me. And the Lord said, that's okay, my son. I didn't expect anything from you because you were the poorest of them. So I had no expectation. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't say that at all, did he? He said, you wicked and slothful servant. Whoa. Jesus is saying that the Lord called, called the poorest man a wicked and slothful servant. Why? Because he did nothing. Because God has expectations. And you know, only a generation ago, we had expectations on our children, on businesses, on our country. We had expectations that we would do something good, that we would grow, that we would get stronger. We had expectations. Now we've let go of all expectations, and as a nation, we're failing because we, expectations are evil all of a sudden. No, they're not evil. Expectations are godly. Expectations are biblical. But you think God's evil? Just wait a few more verses. Verse 27. You ought to therefore to put my money in the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with, tax, uh, with interest. Check this out. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which has ten talents. Whoa! God is an evil, wicked person. He took the one that the guy had, the poorest, and he said, take it away from him and give it to the one that has the most. Does, does that sound like equity to you? That's got nothing to do, that's the complete opposite of equity. It's give it to the one who succeeds. Give it to the one who tries the hardest. Give it to the one who does the most. Give it to them. Equity has nothing to do with the gospel whatsoever. Everybody got something from God. Everybody. He did not, in this parable, he did not leave anybody penniless. It was based upon their ability. But the reward was based upon, did you use the abilities I gave you? And the answer is some people refuse to lose the abilities, uh, use the abilities that God gives them. And God says, well, I'm just going to take it away from you and give it to the person who is going to use it. Now, let's be honest. How many of us in here think that's, that's a little harsh? Am I the only one who thinks that's a little harsh? I think that's a little harsh. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I think. It's what God thinks. And this is teaching us and telling us, here's how we need to think. Here's how we need to act. Well, that wasn't clear, that wasn't clear enough right there? No, 
Uh-huh. If, um, if you perceive God as an investor, uh-huh. okay, why do you think it's harsh that he takes it away from the person who did nothing with it and give it to the he's an investor who wants a return on his investment? And the guy is not giving him a return, so why is it why does why do you find it I didn't say unreasonable. I, I said a little harsh because, unlike you, I have a soft, tender heart on the inside of me. <laughs> that, that's if, why. If I'm an investor, I don't think that it's harsh or wrong or anything else for me to. If I'm investing with two brokers and one broker is making me money and the other broker is losing me money, I'm going to take the money away from the guy who's losing it and give it to the guy who's making it. I agree. But unlike you, I don't walk into the nursery and kick the babies that are crawling on the ground. I don't do that. I pick them up and hug them and love them and kiss them like that. Now, it's, just, it's strong. Obviously, I agree with it, you know, because it's biblical, and I understand exactly what you said. I believe that um, it's all about investing in the kingdom. Obviously, I agree with that. It's just that it's a little surprising to hear it so blatantly brought forth like that. But this isn't the only area where this aspect of God is brought forth that clear. In fact, turn with me to Matthew 13. Go back to chapter 13. Now, in, in this area, we're going to talk about the parable of the sower, right? Sower one fourth of sow seed. Some seed fell upon hard ground, stony ground, you know, thorny ground, good ground, okay? Now, notice what he says at the end about the seed that fell upon the good ground. Verse 23, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heard the word of God and understands it, which also bears fruit. Hey, man, he got fruitful of it. And bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Well, that's not very equitable, is it? It just said that some will reap a 30-fold return. Others will reap a 60-fold return. But others are going to reap a 100-fold return. That's the complete opposite of, of equity. Whereas in the previous, some are going to reap nothing because their seed never took root and grew and bore any fruit whatsoever. So he says, life in the kingdom is not about equity. Not everybody's going to reap the exact same amount. Some are going to reap zero. Some are going to reap 30. Some are going to reap 60. Some are going to reap 100. So that's the complete opposite of equity. And again, Jesus is teaching this about the kingdom of God, that it's not equitable. Okay? It, it probably has to do with uh, the abilities that we put towards it. And I'm not going to have a <coughs> turn here. Let's look at another parable that Jesus taught that we all know. He talked about the, the parable of the ten virgins, right? All ten came to meet the coming of the Lord, who was going to come, which is symbolic of the return of Christ, okay? So they're waiting, and they all brought their lanterns trimmed, and the wait was a little bit longer than some of them thought, and the Bible says that half of them, five of them, were beginning to run out of oil. And they went to the other five and said, hey, could you give us some of your oil? I wonder how many of us would have said, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Have some of my oil. But the other five said, no, you're not getting my oil. Well, they're not good Christians, are they? No, they're smart Christians. Because they said, well, what happens if while we're waiting now, we run out of light too? They said, no, we came prepared. We did the right thing. We came prepared. And so the other five said, well, we've got to run back into town and try to find some oil. And... They did. They turned their ran into town, and as they're running back, they see the limo. You know, they had limos back in the day. It was pulled by, by horses. And there was the Lord with the five of them in the, in the limo, and the door was shut, and they start banging on the window. Let us in. And he said, no, too late. Well, that sounds pretty harsh. There's no equity in that. They all should have made it, because that's what equity is all about. We all get, get to go together. Well, no, you reap what you sow. So here's three examples of parables that Jesus told 
All three of them reflect what the kingdom of God is about, and all three of them told the complete opposite message of equity. It's got nothing to do with equity. It's are you using what God has given you? That's what God counts as faithful. It's about being faithful. Are you faithful with, with what God has given you? So I think those three um, parables right there say a lot. Um, in Galatians 6.5, it says this. Every man shall bear his own burden. Which means you need to be responsible for yourself. That's what you need to be. Don't be dependent upon other people. Now, if you are broken, then, you, then the other verse applies. You that are strong help bear the weakness of, of those that are weak. We understand that. I understand that. But as a general statement, he says, hey man, you've got to carry your own load. You've got to bear your own burdens over here. And again, social justice warriors act as though those verses aren't even in the Bible. When, of course, we know that they are in the Bible. Um, let's talk about, how many do I have here? One, two, <coughs> three, four, five, six reasons why people deserve to be poor. According to Scripture, not according to me. In other words, there's reasons why people are poor. All right? Reasons why. So let's talk about those reasons right now. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. And we're just going to read one or two of these verses, starting with verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the field, cursed shall be the basket and thy storehouse, cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, cursed shall be the land, the fruit of the land, cursed shall be thy, uh, thy oxen and thy sheep, on and on and on and on. <laughs> In other words, poverty is going to come upon you. Why? Disobedience to God. It's that simple. God wants us to be blessed. Another portion, God says, I want there to be none of you to be poor. None of you. He says, and if you obey my word, none of you will be poor. So disobeying God's word means poverty comes your way. Let's give some examples right now. There are a lot of nations in the world that are poverty-stricken nations. Let's use Haiti for an example. Poverty-stricken nation. And what is their religion? Voodoo and witchcraft. Well, I kind of think that's disobeying God, don't you? So are we shocked that poverty is a spirit that is upon that nation? Why would we be shocked? God said, if you disobey me, you're going to be cursed. How many other African nations where their main religion is their own form of voodoo or worshiping false gods or worshiping false idols, and they're poor nations as a result, they're poverty as a result? We give billions to them. Bill you got to understand. There are, <coughs> excuse me, are nations we give billions to, and they're still poor. Well, why should we be shocked? Because they haven't changed their ways. Because there's a curse that's upon them. They're disobedient to God. So disobedience to God is certainly one way to be cursed. In fact, um, in the book of Haggai, you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there because I know it's going to take some of us an hour to find Haggai. 
Some of us are saying you don't even know that Haggai is in your Bible. Page 1287, at least in my Bible. Chapter 1, verse 6 says this. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you are still hungry. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but you're still not warm. And he that earns wages, earns their wages to be put into a bag with holes in it. Wow. That's, that's pretty serious stuff. In other words, poverty has come upon you. Why? This is the second reason. He said, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, my house, and I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified, says the Lord. Because every one of you... <coughs> You run home to your own house, but my house is in ruins. In other words, you only care about yourself. You don't care about the house of God or the kingdom of God. You only care about yourself. Second cause for poverty is when we don't care about the kingdom of God or the house of God. Same thing, I'm putting those two together as one. So you're doing everything you're supposed to do, but poverty is coming upon you. Proverbs 24. This one is obvious. I kind of touched on it before. But it's good to have. Proverbs 24. Starting in verse 33, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to go to sleep. So shall thy poverty come upon you as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. In other words, you're going to be in poverty because you're lazy. That's what that means. Laziness brings poverty upon us. A lazy person brings deserves to be poor. You reap what you sow is clearly taught in Scripture. God does not respect, God does not honor laziness. There are people who are quadriplegics who work full productive lives, don't they? And they're blessed because of it. Whether they're saved or unsaved because they use godly principles. Stay in Proverbs. Go to chapter 28. Verse 19. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. In other words, you work hard, you have plenty of bread. But he that follows after vain persons or vain plans shall have poverty enough. In other words, if you just do what you need to do, you work hard, you'll have what you need. But if you make bad business decisions, <laughs> is what that means. You follow that person who's got a get-rich-quick scheme for you. He says, poverty is going to come and overtake you. So doesn't, does it not make sense that we reap from the decisions that we make, good or bad? So he's saying, don't make bad decisions with your finances. Don't. I mean, there are people who get a credit card, and after two weeks, their credit card's maxed out. And it's their third credit card that's maxed out. And that person's going to complain about their financial situation? How could you possibly complain about your financial situation? We buy what we can't afford. You know, there, I, I saw this um, Saturday Night Live skit, probably done 20 years ago, and I saw a clip of it. And there was this couple that was in their kitchen complaining about how they can't make ends meet, 
And of course, some strange guy walks in and says, well, I have a solution for you. He goes, just buy my book. And the book was entitled, Don't Buy What You Can't Afford. And the whole thing was about, obviously, you open, you know, open, open to a chapter, chapter one. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. If it costs too much, you shouldn't want it. You know, just all stupid, obvious things over there. But we make bad decisions all the time. You know, somebody once famously said, in our society here in America, it's not that we don't make enough, it's that we spend too much. We don't live within our means. Well, that's just bad decisions. That's what this verse is pointing to right there. You don't live within your means. You don't make good financial decisions. Poverty is going to come your way. Proverbs 21. Verse 17, he that loveth pleasures shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Those that want to waste their money on gratuitous, really sinful lifestyles is, is what that's referring to. You're going to be poor. Be wise with your money. Be wise with your investments. Do not throw them away. You know, I, I, I've shared this here before, but I'll, I'll share it again. Oh, my Lord, how many years ago? 20, 25 years ago, 26, 27 years ago, I forget now. We're at the Scottish Rite Building when we were renting that out. I did a series on finances. And I shared how nine out of every 13 people, when they reach retirement age, and one person dies, so it's really nine out of 12, but one person dies. So nine out of the remaining 12, they all retire in a state of poverty. Because if you're dependent upon Social Security as your way to live, you're below the poverty line, the poverty level. And I, afterwards, of course, I spoke to a bunch of um, our people that were there, I was stunned how many of them had no plan for retirement. None. And they were already well into their 50s in those days. I had one person tell me, yeah, I got a plan for my retirement. I'm going to move in with my kids. I said, did you ask your kids? And he kind of said, well, no, but I'm sure they will. Well, maybe they won't. I don't think they want you. But it was amazing how many people and I'll tell you why, because we live in the day of instant gratification. I want it now. I want my pleasure now. I want the bigger pool now, the bigger house now, the bigger deck now, the bigger car now, the bigger vacations now, and I'm spending my future now. Well, you shouldn't be surprised that you live in poverty at the end of your life. should be no surprise whatsoever, because you're violating um, being a good steward of what God has given you. Proverbs 13. It's going to be interesting. Drawing this to an end, then we'll just have discussion. Proverbs 13, 18. We touched on this already. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction. But he that regardeth proof shall be honored. When you reject your education or your instruction, poverty is going to come your way. And this is powerful in a lot of the poorer communities that we live in today. The culture is so bad in poor communities that many children who are good students cannot bring books home from school to do homework or to study. Because if they do, they can get beat up by the other kids, by the gangs that live around there. They'll make fun of them, mock them. Oh, what are you, what are you goody two-shoes? You think you're white? You're white because you're bringing books home, huh? Come on, don't you know who you are? And they literally discourage them 
from trying to excel. That's how bad it is in these communities, and nobody wants to talk about it, and nobody wants to tell the truth about it. It's the culture of those communities that are keeping people you know, um, in prison in those communities, never mind only having one, uh, one parent. You know, I think it's almost eight out of 10 kids in the poor, uh, poorest communities grow up with only one parent. But that has nothing to do with, with their education. That has got nothing to do with their success. Really? It's got an awful lot to do with it over here. So as I said before, we have millions of kids who are given a free education and they reject the instruction that's being given to them, whether it be by a teacher, whether it be by a pastor, whether it be by a police officer try to talk to them, whether it be by a parent, they reject that education. And the Bible says very clearly right here in this verse, poverty awaits you when you reject your education. So to sum this up, until we hear what you guys might have to say. Yes, there's, there is an aspect of social justice that the church needs to get behind. The church needs to support um, the weak and the actual poor who are being oppressed. Absolutely they should not be. People should all be given the opportunity to succeed, um, to grow, to be successful. I, I believe that. Um, we know that the Bible, uh, the Bible, the Constitution says all men are created equal, and we need to practice that. I mean, it's been there for years and it was not practiced, but we need to practice that, and the church needs to be pushing that. But there is the other side of that coin, too, that we need to um, accept and be real about that. God is not really a social justice warrior. He believes very big in reaping for what you have sown. And he's given, and I believe he's given every one of us, every one of us, gifts to sow and to reap as a result. Question is, <clears throat> what do we do with it? Any questions or comments that you guys might have? Right. Your second point where um, God's house is in Yes, I absolutely agree with that. With not giving to the house of God, yes. 100%. I mean, um, let, let's, let's take where... God said, you'll be blessed 30, 60, 100-fold. Well, if you give nothing, 30 times nothing is nothing, 60 times nothing is nothing, and 100 times nothing still comes to nothing. So we need to give something to God in order for him to multiply and bless us with. So absolutely 100%. As I said to some people in the past, they've said, I can't afford to give, and my answer is, you can't afford not to give. Now, I don't want you to give so that your kids can't eat. I don't want you to do that. But you need to give something. Remember, now, let's get, uh, I didn't even pick this one, but I could have. Jesus told another story. Jesus was standing by the treasury, watching what people put in. Do you realize that God's checking what you're putting in the offering? He was watching what the people put in. And this very poor woman came and had a couple pennies in her hand. And Jesus did not go, ma'am, don't do that. Stop right there. You take that home with you because you shouldn't put anything in there. Let these other rich people. He didn't do that. He let her put it in. What a cruel person he let her put it in. No, because she was putting and she was sowing so she could reap and get blessed by God. Oh, feed me first. Right, very good. Very good. When uh, the prophet Elijah came into the widow's house and she said, I only have enough cake you know, to make a little bit. And he said, okay, great, make me one first. Wow, what a horrible guy he is. No, but he was saying, I'm giving you a chance to get blessed by giving to me first. So that's very interesting. Anybody else? Any other questions or comments? Okay, just an announcement or two before uh, we go. This has come to an end really fast. As I said, Don's happy about that. Um, <laughs> But for the rest of you, I hope there are others that are, are a little sadder than Don that this is coming. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> we want to encourage you all to sign up for our home groups right over there, our home groups. For those of you that are watching at home, the millions that are watching at home, um, you got to wait till our next series starts in a couple of months. We'll be back here. I'm going to be doing a series on the book of John that's coming up. I'm very excited about doing that. There's a lot, a lot of great stuff in there. Um, also, um, I forgot to say it on Sunday, but I'll say it again. Um, Joe is posting a lot of little one-minute, two-minute uh, videos 
uh, from our messages. If you're getting them, I ask you hit share. Share all. We want to get the word of God out to as many people as possible. Okay? So just keep, every time you see one, just hit share. Okay? God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. We'll see you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Podcast with Pastor Tom Granger. You can find more information about Abundant